school year. We have gone through verse by verse, and uh, we're going to have this week and then two more weeks in the book of James before we um, depart from this book. And uh, I'll be honest, this section, when you get to chapter 5 at the end, has some really confusing uh, things in it at the end. Uh, and some things that can be uh, misinterpreted or used incorrectly. And so I'm going to do my best to try to talk about some of those things at the beginning and then also kind of make this a practical uh, application for you um, as we go forward. Um, I just want to share this with you because I feel um, like it does fit within the context of this passage. I don't know how many of you guys know this, but um, I actually think only two are in here. Jude, Noah, and I'm missing anybody else who's going to Spain this summer with us. Oh, Colin's over here. Sorry, Colin. Sorry, I was, looking, I was thinking about Enoch too. So there's a handful of us from this ministry um, who are headed off to Spain to do a missions trip in the summer. Um, and I just don't know if this really got public knowledge. And I just want to make you guys aware of it um, because it fits with what we're doing. And I also think it's important to do this as a church. Um, but one of the missionaries that we support, the Romaine family, um, who actually got sent out of Salem Baptist Church over in Winston, um, they, were missionary, they are missionaries in Spain. We were going to partner with them. Um, but suddenly, their seven-year-old son, Ian, uh, found out that he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And they emergency uh, evac'd him and his family from Spain to Cincinnati, Ohio, to do a children's hospital there and a comprehensive cancer center. Um, he spent about six hours yesterday in surgery as they did just a biopsy of the tumor that is in his brain. That doesn't even mean they've removed it. That just means they went in to take a sample of it to then figure out how they can do radiation on this poor young boy um, who's seven. And, and, and this is the type of thing that is a reality check. Um, as a parent, it really is a reality check because you just see this young boy and you can't imagine the type of things that you're, you would feel. Um, and, and so I want to take a second and, and pray for him um, because our church does support their family, but also um, because that was somebody who we were going to be connecting with in this ministry specifically. And so I just want to take a second and pray for Ian. I think it's a good reality check sometimes to think through. I know we all have stuff going on, but there's always some things that just need special attention um, and can really set a perspective right for us. So let's just pray for Ian uh, and his family really quickly. Lord, we, we lift up Ian to you, uh, God, and, and, and the surgeons and all the um, doctors in Cincinnati right now who are trying to figure out the best way to help him and to heal him. God, ultimately we know that you are the only one who can take care of this. The amount of medicine, the amount of procedures, all have limits, but God, you are limitless, and so we, we do ask, we pray that if it is your will that this would be removed from this young boy's um, brain, that you would remove the cancer cells, that the treatments that are sought would work. God, you'd heal his body and restore his sight um, and just the functions that he normally has with a healthy brain. We just pray that you would do those things. We also pray for strength for his family for his mom, for his dad, for his, for his siblings who are watching him go through this. May you wrap your arms around them and encourage them and comfort them. Even right now in this very moment, God, we, we lift up prayers from here in North Carolina and send them to them all the way in Cincinnati and pray that they would feel your presence right now, even in this moment. So God, we lift them up to you and pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen. <coughs> Amen. Um, it's been just something heavy in our hearts as a church staff when we heard that um, 
that had happened to Ian, and they were actually here in January. You may have actually seen him. You may not have even known it, but they were visiting our church back in January, and they were running around, and everything was fine then. And it's amazing how suddenly things can shift. Um, that, that, that segues into what we're going to talk, talk about tonight. In verse 14, um, James asks another question. La- last week we talked about this, and I think this is going to be super relevant for you. Um, last week we said that the answer to everything in your life, the response, not the answer, but the response is prayer. You know, whether you're in good times or bad times or somewhere in the middle, the response that we should have is prayer. James asks another question in verse 14, and he says, is anyone among you sick? And, and the type of sick that he's talking about is not like, I have a cold today, or I've got allergies, or the flu. What he's really talking about is something that has really taken hold of your body. And it's an illness that is causing you severe pain or struggle or something that is severely going wrong. The reason you can tell this is from the context of these verses. I'll read them for you, and you can kind of see why it's a severe illness or sickness that he's talking about. In verse 14, he says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The reason why you know that he's really, really sick, this person is sick, is because they have to call the elders or the pastors of the church to come to where he is laying in bed to pray over him. So there's something going on in this person's life where they're sick to the point where they cannot move, okay? So this is a really serious illness. Some of you guys have dealt with that. Some of you guys may have chronic illnesses, something that doesn't go away, you know, or you've known somebody who's been sick, somebody who's close to you has been really ill or sick. And and I think sickness is one of those things that just throws us for like a, a tailspin. We just, sometimes we can't wrap our mind around what is going on. It's a very confusing thing when either somebody around you or you yourself gets ill or sick. And I'm talking serious sick, Right. It hits us all at some point. I think this is something that every single one of you can relate to at some level, whether it's been somebody close to you or you personally. And I think here's what happens when we get sick or somebody else around us gets sick. We ask a lot of questions, okay? Like when you are injured or hurt or sick or something bad happens, it comes with a lot of questions. A lot of the questions are wrapped up in this. Okay, why? Why is this happening to me? We try to get to the bottom of it, right? Like, what's the purpose behind this? And we look for it in all these different things, right? When God, is God doing something? Is he trying to show me something? And so we spin our wheels and we try to figure out why this is happening. By the way, this happens and this occurs in trials of any type of, of life. So you could apply a lot of what we're talking about here to other stuff, not just illnesses, but if you're going through something that's really challenging, a lot of times it comes with the question of why. Why is God allowing this? Why is this happening to me? The other question that I think we, we wrap up sickness or, or trials like this in is, could I have? Could I have done something differently? Could I have been smarter? You know, if you're talking about health, could I have eaten better at some point in my life? You know, could I have had more blueberries and spinach and antioxidants to make myself stronger so I could get rid of the free radicals in my body? You know, that's all science stuff. But, I mean, could I have done something to change the course of where I am now? Again, you can apply this to things beyond sickness. You can apply this to, you know, things that are broken in your life or, or relationships that have gone awry or trials that have happened. You can go, man, could I have done something different so it wouldn't have turned out to be where we are today? That, that, those are the types of questions that people ask when this stuff happens. The other one I think is obvious, is especially if it's something that is ongoing, is when will this be over? When will this all end? When, when 
will God take this away? And in James 5, he's asking, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then in, in verse 15, I didn't read the last part, so I'll read it now for you. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Here are two really quick actions that are just easy. Just it's Sometimes Bible study is really not that hard, guys. Like I'm going to make this super plain and simple for you. So if you ever feel like overwhelmed when you read the Bible, you're like, I don't know how you get this stuff that you get. It's actually really quite simple. It's called observation. It's right there in front of you. Okay, so what does James say to do when you are sick? Is anyone among you sick? He says, number one, let him call for the elders of the church. So what he's telling you to do is call among other people to join you in prayer. Again, the answer is what? Pray. Just like last week, this is a whole section of James about prayer, so it should be fitting that one of the things is pray. It says, call the elders of the church, let them pray over him. So have other people join in and pray over this sickness, okay? The second thing he says is where I think some people get a little wacky, and I'm going to try to be as clear and direct as I can in the time I have to not go too deep into this, but give you what I think is the correct interpretation of this verse, okay? Ready? anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay, now this sounds really weird, and some people have taken this verse, and they go around with magical oils that they sprinkle on somebody, not essential oils that people are trying to sell, or doTERRA, or whatever that stuff is, but they, they, they sprinkle oils on people trying to make them well and heal them, okay? Now, there's other people who think that they can lay hands, and they can fix people immediately, and they have miraculous gifts of healing. I don't believe that is true through Scripture. I think there's a lot of things that show us that those gifts have, have ceased, and that scripture is clear that those things were for a time, but now no longer are with us, okay? But the prayer of faith and the anointing of oils, what he's talking about here is actually oil back then was used, and the word for oil was like olive oil that we have in our kitchen cabinets, but they used it for medicinal purposes. Like it was a soothing balm for, for sore muscles. When they had athletes running marathons or wrestling matches, Afterwards, to relieve the pain and the stress of their muscles or, or cramps, they would rub olive oil into the muscles, okay? So, so the, the word, the Greek word here with oil is actually the same one that is talked about for medicine. It's not a weird, like, trying to get a little wacky, like, miraculous healing thing and sprinkle some oil on people and then, boom, their leg is going to get out of, you know, relocated and, instead of dislocated. No, it's not that, Okay? It's not weird, it's just talking about medicine. Now, why, what does that mean? I think it's really clear. There are two things you should do when you are dealing with something that's really hard like this. Number one, you should pray and invite others to pray with you. Number two, take advantage of the resources that God has provided. For example, there are some people who, who go as far as to say, is, no, 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 like they get a crazy diagnosis like the Romine family just got, and they go, mm, we're just going to pray that, and God's going to heal. Okay, yes, pray, but go to the doctor. Like, don't sit there in your home, especially for something that potentially could be fixed through the, the modern medicine we have, right? Trust the resources that God has given to us. Those things are not evil. God has used them and brought, and, and brought them to light for us to use. So, so it's really quite simple. It's pray, ask others to be joined in praying for you, and use the resources God has provided. That is not to say that you're not trusting God in your prayer, some people think that. That's not what it's saying. In, in actuality, I think this, in either case, in both of these, you are showing that you rely on God to help. 
Because even when you go to the doctor and you go to the specialist to get the help you need, you're acknowledging, God, you have given men the wisdom to fix some of the things that are broken because of sin in this world. And I know that ultimately these things can't save me, but I pray that you would guide and direct them as I seek out the help that I need. That's wise. That's wisdom. God wants you to live with wisdom. He doesn't want you to sit there and try just to pray it out. Pray first and then use the resources God has provided. And you're not undoing the prayer of faith as some people would think. And the other thing, crazy thing about this is verse 15, it says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is kind of talking about there's a certain type of prayer that is a prayer of faith that's powerful beyond other prayers of faithful people. And we're going to get to that next week when we talk about the difference in that. But all I want to say to that in the address in this is that there is not a singular prayer that is more powerful than another one. Okay, like I don't want you guys to think like the prayer of faith, that's some super Christian who has that, and I don't have that. Or it's some only person who has a supernatural gift that can pray the prayer of faith and heal people. That's not what this is saying, okay? James has been clear throughout the whole context of this book, and, and the reason why I keep putting up that rooted picture is because he's talking about, is your faith rooted in Jesus? Are you foundationally trusting in him. That's what he's talking about when he says the prayer of faith. Now, I'm going to get super practical because I think some of these things have been kind of, I, I think, skewed and miscued. And if you have more questions about that and you would like to talk about that sometime, I'd be, be happy to. This is the kind of deep theology stuff that I, I, I nerd out on, okay? So I'm a geek about this stuff. I love to talk about what the Bible says. And if you have questions or you want to argue, we can off, offline, okay? But I think that the Bible answers some of those questions we ask, or at least addresses those questions that we are asking when it comes to sickness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat them for you. The questions we ask are, why could I have, and when will it be over? Okay? I think the Bible addresses these questions in a couple different ways, but I think the real question is, can we accept the answers or the, the addresses that the Bible is giving us in terms of these questions? Will we accept those questions? Here's the first thing I want you to realize, because here's the other thing that some people have done with this passage of scripture that they have twisted. Take you back to verse 15 really quickly. He says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, James is talking about the person who is sick, and there are people who believe that if you have sinned, it leads a direct line to the sickness that is in your life. This is a lot of times that the people ask the question, like, why is this happening to me? And sometimes people land on an answer saying, I must have made God angry because I sinned, and so therefore he's punishing me with this sickness. And some people have used this verse to say that's exactly right. See, sin and sickness are linked. Now, Jesus addressed this very thing. And so I'm going to take you to John chapter 9. It's on the screen. If you want to flip there, you can, but it's also on the screen. So the first thing I want you to understand when you think about this question, why is this happening? One of the things the Bible addresses is sickness or severe pain or, or injury or bad things that have happened in your life does not mean you did something wrong. Okay? It does not mean that you did something wrong. John 9, verses 1 through 3. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Did you catch that? The people back then see a man who is blind from birth, baby to man, manhood, okay? Never has seen anything. He's been blind his entire time. And they all looked at this blind man and said, the reason why he was born with that defect was because either A, his parents sinned, or B, he sinned in his life, and God knew that, and God was already going to punish him with blindness. And Jesus says, uh-uh, that's not why it happened. It was not that he sinned or his parents, but it's because the works of God could be displayed in him. This is so important, okay? So, so yes, there are consequences for your sin. And yes, sometimes the bad things in your life can be a result of you veering away from God, okay? And I want you to be clear on that. Like, you could live a lifestyle that is damaging if you choose sin. It, it is going to bring consequences, but just because you're experiencing an illness, an injury, or bad things in your life, it does not always mean that you did something wrong, okay? If you look at the story in John chapter 9, the blind man goes from these great steps. So Jesus says, he's not because, it's not because of sin, it's because God's going to get glory in his blindness. And then what does Jesus do? He gets some dirt, wipes it on the guy's eyes, and heals him. Okay, miraculously, because Jesus is God and can do those things, and he has control over that blindness. And so he restores the man's vision. Then he goes to all the people in town, and they go, wait, this isn't the same guy. We need his parents to verify. Hey, mom and dad, is this your son? Was he born blind? Now, they're afraid that they're going to get kicked out of society if they say that, yeah, he was born blind, but this Jesus guy healed him, so they don't want to own up to that. So you know what they do? They kind of plead the fifth. They go, mm. You should ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. And they go, we're done. And they leave. Good parenting, right? You just leave your kid. Okay, so they just leave him to find fend for himself. And then he shows up and they go, what happened? He says, I can only tell you what happened. I was once blind, but now I see. So then they take it to the religious leaders. The religious leaders are like, okay, what is this? What is going on? He says, well, it was on the Sabbath day. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me that on the Sabbath day, Jesus did work? He restored, I can see now. Whoa, 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 time out. But he did work on the Sabbath day. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a big no-no. Okay, we gotta go get Jesus now. So now they're seeking to kill Jesus because Jesus did something miraculous on the Sabbath, okay? And so they're chasing him down. All through this, this guy's faith continues to grow. His boldness grows. At one point, they, they, the Pharisees ask him, they say, who did this and where is the man that healed you on the Sabbath? And, and the blind man looks at him in one of the most sarcastic, and I love sarcasm, in the sarcasm lines of scripture, he looks at him and goes, why, do you want to meet him too? Like, no, they don't want to meet him, they want to kill him. Like, no, they don't want him to be healed by Jesus, they want to kill him. But he's like, oh, you should go meet him too, he's great. In the most sarcastic way possible, he says that. So his boldness is growing, his faith is growing, and then you get to the end, and then Jesus and him have this interaction, and Jesus says, man, what are you looking for? And the blind man goes, I don't know, who are you? Are you the son of man? Are you the one that has been spoken about from generations past? Are you the one that we are waiting for? And Jesus goes, yes, I am him. You see, even as he had something miraculous happen to him, his faith was growing, his boldness was growing, he still didn't have a clear picture of who Jesus was yet until Jesus stepped into his life and had a relationship with him and walked with him. 
This goes back to what I, I, I'm, really, I'm really big about right now for, for myself and for you guys. And I said this last week. I want you guys to get from seeing Jesus as a concept or a thing or, or an, an idea that we read about in this book to an actual person that is in your life, just like the blind man. The blind man had some ideas about what he was like and, and then had some boldness to talk about him and even got sarcastic with people who made fun of him about Jesus. But it wasn't until he sat down and started asking questions and got to know Jesus that then he placed his faith truly in Jesus and followed him. It's kind of like this. I can talk about some of my best friends, some of the coolest people in my life, and I can tell you guys all about them. I can tell you their birthday. I can tell you their name. I can tell you their favorite hobbies. I can tell you where they live. I can tell you all the stuff they've been doing lately. I can give you their social media pages. I can get you to follow them and like their pictures and all this stuff. And at the end of the day, you have to take my word that my friends, the people that I view as really cool, are actually really cool. You've got to take my word for it because you have never talked to them nor have you ever met them. And yeah, sure, you can look at the highlights of their life from the outside, but you really don't know if they're actually cool people who are actually really funny, really great to talk to. You just got to take me at my word. Listen, if you come in here or you go to church on a Sunday morning and you just listen to the people in the pulpit speaking about God from the Bible and you never spend time with them, it's no different than you thinking that you know my best friends and think they're really cool and really funny. You've never met them. They're just a concept or an idea. You just got to take me at my word. Some of you guys just gotta, are just taking me at my word that Jesus is this amazing, that you can get this passionate about Jesus. You're just taking my word for it because you're not actually spending time with them. And I think the first two things that you got to realize is this prayer section is talking about pray to him, talk to him. Find out for yourself. That's how you take Jesus from being just words on a page to an actual person when you start to speak with him in prayer. It opens up that life. When you start to read the word and see what he is like, that's where we move from concept to actual person. And that's where you guys, I want you to be. But don't just take my word for it. You've got to see him and meet him yourself. I think this question is also is, could I have done something different? Is It's answered in the blind man's story, right? Like, could he have done something different? No, no, no. It, it was all part of God's plan. God was going to get the glory, and he showed his glory in this man's life. In the mess of this guy's life, God showed his glory and got the glory. And I think that is such an amazing thing. All right, the last question we're going to answer before we go. The question of when will it be over? This is probably one of the most challenging questions because there are times in our lives where things just continue to go on and on and on. You get sick, you don't get better. You get injured and another injury happens and it just seems like when is it going to stop? When is enough enough? When is this going to stop? Some of you guys, you're going through something right now where you're asking that same question. When will it all be over? Please make it stop. I can't handle it anymore. Okay, here's the Bible addressing that. The Apostle Paul guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament, right? Aside from Jesus, may have had the biggest impact on the world for God's kingdom. Here's what happened to the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. He says this, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You may have heard this verse before, but one of the things you may not know about this is that when it says a thorn, I think we oftentimes just think of like roses and thorns because that's kind of like the context we have. And those thorns, you know, depending on how big your roses are, um, those thorns can go from about yay big to about maybe yay big. Okay, that's like a monster rose thorn if it's that big. The word in the Greek is not a plant thorn. It's actually more like a giant stake, not even a tent stake. I'm talking like a pole with a very sharp end on it, like the kind that the uh, barbaric peoples of old would use to uh, jam bodies onto, if you get what I'm picturing. That's the word that he uses for thorn. Not pleasant. Doesn't go away. In fact, what we know about this is that we don't actually know, and I think Paul did this purposely. He didn't say, oh, it was a sickness, which some people think it is. It was, eye, or it was an eye uh, disease that he had, or that some people think it could have been people in his life that were talking bad about him. But Paul just kind of leaves it open. I think it's really good for us because that means any type of affliction, whether sickness or relational drama, any of it kind of fits this box, okay? So Paul had a thorn. And we know that it was sustained pain for at least 14 plus years. Because if you draw back from the time that he wrote this in Corinthians to when he began to know, or when this all happened in his life, you can kind of figure out that it was about 14 years ago that this thing entered Paul's life and it still was not resolved. 14 years of sustained agony and pain, whether that be physical, emotional, mental, whatever. Pain for 14 years. That's a long time. Some of you guys, that's your entire lifespan at this point. Sustained pain. Notice too that he also prayed continually that God would remove it. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. That doesn't mean that it was like on year two he had a prayer. I was like, God, could you remove this thorn? Please, thank you. And then a couple years later he pleaded again. Hey, God, could you remove this thorn? Please, thank you. And then maybe a month later, he's like, okay, God, I prayed about a month ago. Could you? No. The three times mean he pleaded completely. Like he continually, every angle of this thing, he asked God, please remove this thorn. Please take it out of my life because I am hurting. But recognize what it did. Paul knows it kept me from being conceited. It kept him humble. See, the sickness got left unhealed in Paul's life. And Paul had solutions. He was like, listen, I asked the Lord to remove it. He's like, God, if you just remove it, here's what will happen. It won't slow me down, and I will do ministry better. I think Paul's, Paul's motives were not really that bad. I think Paul really meant it. Like, if you remove this thorn, I will be able to do more for the sake of your gospel and, and more ministry if you would just take this out of my life. If you would let me be able to do this effectively, it'll be okay. That's, that's his solution. Paul's also, almost in a way, kind of wagering, saying, okay, if you don't remove the thorn, then if you leave the thorn, what's going to happen is I'm going to be slowed down, it's going to be hurting, and I'm not going to be able to do the things that I want to do for your name. Those, that's kind of Paul's solution. Here's God's solution. How about this, Paul? I'll leave the thorn, and I will give you more grace. Now, here's what you need to know. That, that word grace is not just for forgiving grace in this context what paul is being told by god is i will give you my presence sustaining 
empowering, calming, supporting, comforting, emboldening, satisfying you, my presence. And guess what? I'm saying it's my grace because you don't have to earn it. I'm just going to give it to you freely. I'm going to give you more of me freely. That's what God's answer to him is. I will give you more of me. And that will be sufficient. I will be enough no matter what it is you're dealing with. So I will leave the thorn because it will keep you humble. And I'd rather have you humble and reliant on me because then you will gain my presence. And my presence is much better than being healed and having that thorn removed. Gavin Ortland, a, a pastor in Nashville, said it this way. He said, what this means is that when life goes into meltdown, when our feet are swept out from under us with the perplexing surprises of life, we do not throw in the towel. We get to return afresh to God. That moment of life, implosion, is taken to Christ. That's where we finally get traction and power in our Christian lives. Our agony is where God himself lives. Guys, sometimes the healing doesn't always come. I know that's tough to hear. Sometimes sicknesses may be left unhealed. God may choose not to do it. Does it make God unloving? No, it doesn't. I was reading another commentary said this way about, especially in the Paul situation, because Paul says it's a messenger from Satan, right? It's like almost like a sandwich. Like you got the sandwich, like the bread of Satan sending something to suffer, and you got the pain and the agony of the suffering that Paul was uh, experiencing. But in between that, the real substance of that was God's presence. In the midst of all that, God is still there and never left Paul and it strengthened Paul with his grace that he gave to him freely, his sustaining presence. Again, that's where I think this matters for us. For some of you guys, it, it's getting away from just God this idea and God this person so that you can know the power and the presence of God in your life. And you're only going to get that. It, 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 you're only going to get that if you actually seek after him. It doesn't just fall in your lap. It doesn't just happen because I heard a sermon once or I listened to some Christian music once or I try to do that every once in a while or I go to a Christian school or, or I went to church on Sunday or my, my parents are Christian, so therefore I must, I'm in a Christian home. No, no, no. Like, it doesn't just fall in your lap. You need to choose to pursue this relationship just like you choose to pursue relationships with your friends. You, you choose to do that. You choose to make the time for that person. You choose to talk to that person. It's a choice. You need to choose to do the same with Christ. And here, here's the question that I think this, this brings, and this is how we'll end, and I think this is always convicting to me. You have to continue to go back to the goodness of God so that you can really understand who he is, and it'll help you answer this question. But here's the question. Would you rather have a mountaintop experience without God? What I'm saying is, would you rather have all the stuff that's in your life that's not going well, that hurts, that causes suffering and pain, would you have to have that all removed and not have God? So God could come along and say, hey, I can heal all that, but then I'll just walk away. Would you rather have that? Or would you rather have the valley experience like Paul had? 
or it could be some prolonged agony, it could be some suffering, it could be some pain, it could be some things you're not comfortable with. Would you rather have that valley experience but know that God is never going to leave your side? That's, that's where it is. That, that's, what, that's really what it is when you face sickness, pain, trials, all of that. Where would you rather be? By his side or not? believe me, the things that you get by his side are so much better. The psalmist said it this way. This is the last thing I'll share. The psalmist said, I want to be in your presence because at your right hand are pleasures, good things forevermore. So that's where I want you guys to be. But again, I can't. I could tell you so much about what I know about Jesus and how much I love him. And I could tell you from his word how good he is for you to experience him. That's where you've got to put in the work. You've got to choose to experience them for yourself. And I pray you would. I really do. Because I think it will be the best thing that you'll ever experience, no matter how bad or how hard things in your life get. Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's a challenge. It's difficult to wrap our minds around the things that we can't understand. Why do children get sick? Why, why does cancer hit randomly when it does? Why do things continue to break every time we try to see them back together? Lord, your, your scripture says the ultimate reason is because that sin has cursed every single cell and molecule of this world. It is all broken and falling, decaying and dying, and it's sin that causes all of this the good news, Lord, that you remind us is that one day you will set it all right. But until then, God, we, we do go through times of suffering and we do experience loss and pain and sickness. And God, in the midst of all that, I pray that you would help us to see you and to know you and to have personal relationship with you. To know that when you are with us, no matter what we are walking through, it is so much better just to be in your presence, just to have you with us. God, I pray that that would be something that these students experience in a different and new way, that they would choose to try to spend time with you through prayer, through reading your word, through hearing what you have to say to them. And God, that would transform their hearts. That God, no matter what valley they are in, they know that you are in them, in the valley of the shadow of, the de of death. You walk with them through it. You don't carry them around it. You walk with us through it. And God, for that, we are so grateful for your grace that sustains. And God, I pray that these students would know that grace in a new, fresh way this week. God, if there are some who still are wrestling with the idea of being in a relationship with you, I pray that they would ask questions. They would ask somebody, whether it's their parents or a leader, they would seek after you with their whole heart. So God, we thank you for your goodness in the midst of all these things that are broken around us. The one thing that is constant, the one thing that we can trust in is you. And we thank you for your hand that can rest upon us and protect us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.